Well, you've had quite the year this year. I was told the theme this year was spiritual boot camp. And when I think of boot camp, I think about going back to the basics. And I love that because as Dawn was just saying, I'm a woman who loves the basics. Foundational truths, right? The foundation, that's where we have to hang out. I can be opinionated at times. Anyone with me? I can be controlling. I can be demanding. And believe me, there are days that I see myself reaching out my hand and grabbing that forbidden fruit, plowing right past that no-picking sign, and saying, if only I get this. If only he will do that. If only someone wouldn't or shouldn't do this. Believing the lie straight from the pit of hell, that if I can add or subtract something to my life, then, and only then, will it be well with my soul. I want more seems to be the language of our family tree. I don't know about you, but I can see myself clearly in Eve. From her feelings of contentment at one moment, walking with God, to following her desire for more in the next. Eve didn't sin because she was hopelessly outmatched by a demonic force, making her do wrong when she thought she was doing right. Yes, she was lied to, but she chose to listen to that lie. Could this be true? Could a good God really be restrictive? Rationalized to herself. Maybe I just didn't understand what God said. I mean, why would God not want me to have this? Maybe for you, home, another child. Eve's sin didn't start when she grabbed the fruit. It started with her doubt. Or do I dare say her unbelief? When we doubt who God is, we start down the slippery slope of discontentment. As women, we can make life harder than it needs to be. Do you agree? Yeah, because if you don't, that's another talk, lying. <laughs> but really, mix a little bit of our own expectations, maybe some, a little bit of someone else's, some heightened emotion, an array of assumptions, and voila! Something as easy as keeping a house organized can become a major remodel we can't or shouldn't be affording. If only I had these cubicles, if only I had a bigger space, and then, of course, if only I had that lighting fixture to go with it. A meal plan can become an overwhelming mountain that we can make a woman feel as if I don't love this task and get it right, then my family will have to live in a state of vitamin deficiency their whole life, and I will sure be put on the don't call her meal list when a baby is born. <laughs> and I'm on that list. From organization to salvation, everything in motherhood seems so weighty. As moms, we can easily carry guilt for the lack of adhering to agendas that we place upon ourselves. We place upon ourselves. Or the opposite, we carry pride and we check the boxes, we're doing well. This was me. I would be happy, contented, I believed, if all my ducks were aligned and I felt I was doing well. And I would be unhappy, discontent, if I felt I wasn't. It led to burnout, and an outward expression that didn't match the inward new heart. I strived in my flesh to be all I was learning of biblical womanhood. I am loving our Galatians study right now on, Monday, on Sunday mornings because it's a great reminder that our conceit, in our conceit, we tend to lean towards a law-like focus, a break, keep rules, schedules, routines, practices, programs, diets, to devise how well we are doing, to prop up our emotions, to reward ourselves, to fit in, to fix our problems, rather than living in a grace-based, 
relational focus, asking how can I honor Jesus who bought me with his blood today in this task, in this circumstance. A Christian life is a life of realignment. Paul tells the Corinthians to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Believers are to examine their motives, their actions, the current situation of their heart, not to carry guilt and shame. The cross took care of that. But because his amazing love, ladies, should change the way we respond to the circumstances of life. In Philippians 3.1, Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard to you. Repetition is protection. Protection from succumbing to falsehood. And two key areas that we are constantly fed lies in is, become, is a parenting and a help me. The places we allow ourselves to go mentally as women of faith must be guarded or we find ourselves very discontent and we look for the next quick fix. So just a friendly little reminder this morning for those of you who are like me, who easily find themselves walking back to self-sufficiency, remember that all these disciplines taught this year are tuning instruments. For it is Christ's strength that works contentment in us, not our own striving and resolve. And boy, do I need to be reminded of that. I titled the talk this morning, Contentment, the Perspective of a New Heart, because Christianity is not a rehabilitation. Talking yourself into something you don't fully heartily agree with. It's a regeneration, a new heart given to us by God at salvation. And with a new heart comes a new perspective. The definition of perspective is a point of view, the way you think about something. I like this one. It's a vantage point. The true understanding of the relative importance of things. And what are the important things when it comes to contentment? First truth on your outline, a new heart will establish an acceptance perspective. We must accept that circumstances don't transform us. Christ does. Our enemy wants us to believe the opposite, that we are all victims. But ladies, our circumstances don't make us who we are. They merely reveal who we are. What, if you, what do you think of when you think of the word contentment? Maybe beds are made, dishes done, children napping. How about a bank account with no limit? Having dinner in the crock pot, sitting in a comfy chair, reading your favorite verses. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? Yet when we look to the outward circumstances or tangible desires for contentment, we have it backwards. We have then misplaced our hope. As Ms. Melissa Kruger says, in those situations, I'm hoping for an outward peace in my circumstance to work an inward peace in my soul. Let me read that again. I'm hoping for an outward peace in my circumstance to work an inward peace in my soul. Christian contentment is the opposite. It is an inward assurance of God's sovereignty and goodness that produces the fruit of joy, peace, and thanksgiving in the life of the believer, regardless of the circumstance that you are in. And I love the way that Jeremiah Burroughs describes contentment. He says it like this, because we can understand as parents. A sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit 
which freely submits to and delights in our wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. Isn't that what we hope for for our children? I mean, when we parent them, that they feel secure in our love and goodness towards them, that we'll learn to trust them, they'll trust us in all of our wisdom in every circumstance that we bring forth because they've experienced our faithfulness and they know our character. When we call them to obey, isn't that what we're asking of them? For them to be content, to be satisfied, even in the hard nose, in the boundaries, in the discipline, that there's greater purpose. We're saying to our children, mommy knows better the ways of the world, right? That is the kind of settled heart we're speaking of when we are speaking of contentment. A heart filled with peace and joy that is independent of daily experience and circumstances, resting in your heavenly father who knows better the ways of the world and believing he is for you. Paul's encouragement to Philippians in 4, 11 through 13 should also be a great encouragement to us. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I know how to live in prosperity. Oh, isn't that nice? In any and every circumstance, I have learned, key word, the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. Do we know the end? I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? The more you reflect on Paul's letters, though, in the New Testament, oh, the more you understand what contentment is not. Paul's life was not carefree and unburdened. He had longings and distress and fear and anxiety, relational conflicts, physical pain. Paul's hope was not tethered to a carefree existence, Paul had learned whatever he was facing was not too big for God's grace. Paul's secret? Trusting the Lord. God's grace will enable us not just to survive what we're going through, but to thrive in the midst of it. And we need to remind ourselves and each other of the power of God's grace. John Piper wrote this. He said, God's provision of day-by-day -day future grace enables Paul. And what he's saying there is that Paul learned that by experience, that there was infinite grace that would carry him through the day by day. This is key. He had learned that a key element of contentment was being able to adjust, adjust the level of desires to the situation and purpose chosen to him by God. Our situations are very different with this many women in here, hmm? to trust the situation and purpose chosen for him by God. Contentment isn't something that descended upon Paul the moment he came to faith. He learned it. That means there's hope for you and me too. When we learn something new, it's uncomfortable though, isn't it? We usually feel like we're never going to get this. I mean, how many of we feel like we don't know what we're doing in this motherhood thing? That's normal. I'm learning. In learning there is to be discomfort, we understand that as moms. Like, let's talk about the potty training. That's infamous, huh? Well, the same is true of contentment. Our unwanted circumstances push us to trust and believe in God. When our day is interrupted by a child swallowing a marble, turning into hours and hours in the ER, where you pick up the flu, and everyone's sick now, and your husband just isn't as compassionate as you as hope. 
we're forced to lean into whatever we believe about God in new ways, aren't we? Now, we can easily carry around in our minds misguided pictures of contentment. At one point, I found myself viewing contentment as a carefree disposition, an emotional levelness, like nothing should shake. I ended up more miserable as I felt like a jack-in-the-box. Emotions would spring up, and I'd push them back down. I mean, I'm called to rejoice, aren't I? But why isn't my sorrow, anxiety, disappointment, they just wouldn't agree. It was during this time I found myself in the Psalms. God is so good to give us the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with raw emotion from real people in real situations, wrestling with God, pouring out their souls. Like Psalm 10, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? But you yourself have seen trouble and grief. It was there I started to get a deeper understanding of who God is, and it showed me that disappointment, grief, are not signs of faithlessness, something I often felt. But just life in a fallen world, and they walk side by side with contentment. Crying out to God for relief is not in opposition to contentment. When we mistakenly view contentment as keeping a positive Pollyanna attitude or purely logical Spock-like attitude, we miss entering more deeply into the relationship with Jesus. So how do we combat it when the world is screaming at us, more, 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 bigger, bigger, better? The Lord's commands are clear. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Can we have some knowledge of Bible? We're going to church, we're going on Sundays, we're going to some Bible studies. Is that gonna transform our mind? When our phones are like this? Technology's right here. Mm. There's no quick fixes, ladies. With contentment, it starts with your priorities. If we aren't perfectly clear about what is most important in our lives, it's easy to be swayed by anything that comes our way. The idols of the if-onlys need to be destroyed. In defeating lies, you need to make a conscious decision on what matters most of all. For it is nearly impossible to combat the idea that something new is somehow better than what we already have without daily effort and persistence. On our days are filled with so many, as so much advice streaming into our homes at an alarming rate. Recently, I was working on the computer and all of a sudden I, get, I couldn't get hamburgers out of my mind. Why? Because those crazy luring deception pop-up ads. I mean, what do you think we had for dinner? <laughs> we desperately need God's truth, who God is. Letter A on your outline, acceptance of God's sovereignty fosters contentment. Listen to what we're being told here in Ecclesiastes 7.14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. And let's just be honest. When we meet up with anything that 
sex with our desires, it's a day in adversity. Did you hear the end though? So that man will not discover anything that will be after him. God is the one who is withholding the knowledge of the future. In doing so, he is graciously be bringing to light our desire to control the uncontrollable. The sin of unbelief is linked very closely with the sins of worry, anxiety, and fear. Because when something we desire or value is threatened, we can easily become gripped by them. And if we aren't tethered to the one who is really in control. There is always something to worry about in a world of uncertainty. All the way from will my hubby ever get a raise so we can make it in this inflation. To do I have any real friends. To will my children be okay in this world of lunacy with its rebellion against God. Considering his sovereignty reminds me my times, my child's times, my husband's times are in his hands. Psalm 31, 15. My times are in your hands. We can't get any simpler than that in truth. Sovereignty also affects how we make decisions. For if we make the wrong decisions, all is not defeated. And boy, as moms, we need to be reminded that we can trust God's faithfulness and his ability to set us back on course. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Sovereign God overrules the plans of man for his purposes. So there is freedom in your career choice, your husband's career choice, your child's schooling choices, health. And if you haven't memorized Philippians 1, 6, I'm going to encourage you today to do that. Because nothing brings contentment more than knowing God is faithful to complete what he starts in us. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. B, acceptance of God's goodness fosters contentment. Now, I know, I know, in a room like this, we would never verbalize God is not good. I mean, the gospel's good news, right? Our theology and our intellect say, yes, God is good, no denying but as we are discovering deep down in our hearts, when God's sovereignty doesn't really match and work for our benefit, we question his goodness. We can find that if he denies us something, he might be good, but sometimes just not to me. Especially when we are forced to live in circumstances we didn't ask for, or when good things are taken away. We begin to doubt the bounty of God's goodness. If God is good, then why can't I get pregnant? If God is good, why doesn't my husband leave? Satan continues to lie to us today, focusing on the one thing we think we need while we ignore the overwhelming evidence of God's goodness all around us. Anything that makes you need God is a blessing. I'm going to say that again. Anything that makes you need God is a blessing. Truth number two, a new heart will establish an eternal perspective. Remember, his amazing love should change the way we respond to the circumstances of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Our desire now should be to bear much fruit. Jesus tells us, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abide in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do we overlook that part? From apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we walk in there? One counterfeit to bearing good fruit is pretense. We can become expert at those routines and lingo and acting Christian while experiencing no real power and bearing no eternal fruit. Our hearts remain self-centered and angry and joyless. And we even go through the motions of serving our family and serving God. A, contentment is realizing true satisfaction is built by those things that cannot be taken away or destroyed. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I, it's as clear as it can be. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. Whatever we focus on dictates our actions. When we focus on earthly success and wealth, we'll extend our energies there. We focus on God's priorities, we'll reflect different priorities. And our reward will be in heaven and will last forever. I was talking to my friend the other day, and she put it all into eternal perspective. She said, I had had a busy day, and I thought I would get dinner for my family. While I was there, I thought about a family who had been going through some hard things, and I thought, why not surprise them with dinner too? So that's what I did. As I handed the meal to one of the kids at the door, I heard a shout of thanks from the other room. Hmm, I thought. My joy was deflated, for I expected quite a bit more appreciation than thanks from the other room. I mean, I went out of my way to bless them. Is this what I deserve for all my trouble I've gone to? Anybody feel that ever? But then the Holy Spirit brought to mind, what do you really want? I wanted to show them Christ, I thought. I realized I had accomplished that. And that's what mattered in the light of eternity. And it could not be taken away. Without realization, the, with that realization, the discontentment went away, she said, and peace returned. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Sorry. Ladies, when we love and serve the members of our family and our motives are to please the Lord, he gives us the contentment that we long for. You really can find how cooking dinner can be so to joy. In the roles of motherhood and help me, there are thousands of moments each day. And we have opportunities to squelch those if-onlys by asking ourselves, what do I really want in this moment? Not in life. Simple. Moment by moment, day by day, that's what Paul talks about. And if your answer is Christ, you're well on your way to a contented heart. Truth three, a new heart will establish a worship perspective. Now, worshiping God in the way he wants affects every area of our lives, and it brings contentment. Simple, why does worshiping God bring contentment? Because we're remembering his greatness and because we're thinking of him and not ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Over the years of parenting, one thing Tim and I did to try to keep worship at the center was we would choose a Bible family verse 
And then when we had a job to do unto the Lord, we would, just like a football team, we would yell it together and finish with the motto, We're the Hadleys! <laughs> I guess you could say our verse and our motto was kind of like a little mini family mission statement. To this day, even Tyler, who has been married four years, whenever we serve as a family or pressures come our way, hard stuff, you, it's very rare not to hear one of us make the grunts and inevitably say to one another, we're the Hadleys. And we each know what it means. We know it means no grumbling, no complaining, no pity parties. Everyone has a job to do. And we serve the Lord cheerfully for the great things that he has done. Get creative. What can be more worshipful with your children than gazing upon the face of God? That would bring contentment to both your hearts. Contentment is delighting in God more than anything else. Psalms, love them. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe this? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. We strive a lot for the desires of our hearts, don't we? Instead of waiting, we live in a world that doesn't know how to wait. And when we don't know how to wait, we take matters into our own hands as parents and as wives. And right here he is telling us, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. B, a gratitude attitude builds contentment. Now ladies, I can't possibly stress enough that a heart of gratitude is one of the most important spiritual disciplines you'll ever learn. When a person doesn't have a thankful heart, it is impossible. Let me say that again. It is impossible to be contented. We are commanded to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We are not just to be thankful. We are to be thankful to God. A lot of times we'll say to ourselves, I'm very thankful I have this home. I'm very thankful that I have these children. You are to be thankful to God. That is the command. The good provider. We have to get that right. Every woman in this room has things they don't like about their lives or even in their relationships. What are you doing with those discontented thoughts? Take them captive with gratitude. Count your blessings. That's something we hear all the time. But have you ever really done it? It's not just a Hobby Lobby sign. It's really biblical. I mean, make an actual list of God's blessings in your life. Being very specific. Don't just write husband. Write his name. Make a list of subcategories. I still have one in my Bible from early in my marriage, and it really helped me in focusing on truth instead of the negative, leaving no room for the sin of grumbling and complaining. Do it with your children, each one, their names. I did it with my house for two months, each room. I beat that discipline into me. I would go into a room, and I would look at things in the room, and I would be, I thank you, Lord, for this. I thank you. And it would bring to something to mind, a picture of my parents. I thank you for them. It would bring something to mind. 
You will be filled with gratitude for the many ways God has blessed you. There will be no room to be discontented. I have gratitude journals I call my altars of remembrance. And Tim and I have our gratitude couch dates, we call them. Where when we come together, all we can talk about is the things that the Lord has done for 35 years in our marriage. Boy, does that build unity. Get creative. Learn this discipline. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. You are full in Christ. And it shines through a spirit of thankfulness. Now, I was in a few years back, I was in Uganda on a missions trip. And even though there was many memorable moments that the Lord had shared with me, I will never forget this picture in my moment. Part of the trip is visiting a local family and having dinner with them. This is jungle living, mind you. What they called home was more like a hut with dirt floors, minimal lighting, just some would say uh, makeshift camping lights. Uh, a single room, a single room where the whole family slept of five. And in one center of the room, there was a makeshift bench, which they insisted that we sit on. At one point, though, I found myself leaving the bench and sitting in the corner with the mom. And she was just on, on the dirt floor in this hut. And I was prompted to ask her testimony. And it was simple and it was clear. In her broken English, this is what she said to me. I was so, so sinful. I wanted my neighbor's tin roof. You see, hers was thatched. I was so sinful. I argued with my husband, and I got angry at my children, all because I wanted my neighbor's tin roof. But Jesus saved me from that, and now I'm happy. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that simple. Her perspective was correct. Inward working outward, not outward working inward. The song of her heart, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Oh, Abba Father, you alone are good, and you alone know the heart. I pray over these women, over their families. I pray you put hedges around them, protect them from the enemy's deception. I pray for strength and perseverance in their day-to-day, -day, as you know how it is to be a parent. You know that weight, Father. So I ask, Father, that you would mightily multiply their faith. That's my prayer this morning, Father. Multiply these women's faith, Father, in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Where do you see the biggest area of discontentment in young moms today, and what encouragement can you give them? Okay. Um, I... Uh, answered this briefly and then I asked my kids because I have two children that have children and they're all about your age which is good um, I said I said I think uh, I see a great deal of discontentment in moms comparing themselves with others especially within the realm of social media which um, I have seen happen multiple times um, I had my daughters respond and here's what Rebecca said she said I would say the biggest area of discontentment for young women is being unable to uh, do everything you're supposed to do. Moms compare themselves constantly to other moms and around them um, in, in social media and moms in different er stages of life. 
And then she said, the root of this discontentment, which I completely agree, is putting your identity in worldly things and not in Christ. When we have our eyes on Christ, the way uh, we treat ourselves, our husbands, and our children will fall into place. And her encouragement would be to remember that the only truth you need is the Bible. Social media is the world idea and picture, and it is not often true. People's advice or opinions are based in their biases and experiences. Um, how one person parents is not the, necessarily the right way, especially on social media. Um, <laughs> be in the word, which is one of the things I talk about later too. Um, uh, be, be discipled. She discipled one of my daughters in a wonderful way. Um, by a Bible teaching, be in a Bible teaching church, pray and be honest with yourself. You are not able to do anything well unless you are in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Katie was very brief. She said, I would say having the perfect life, perfect home, perfect kids, looking like you have perfect uh, Instagram life and that you have it all together. And her encouragement would be being reminded of God's character, his godly, his goodness and sovereignty and that we are to rest in him. We are uh, we are weak and we don't have it all together because we are finite and need to remember our reliance on God. But Jake. Okay, and I would add to that. In the mommy's war, my encouragement is put your white flag up. It's a losing battle. You've already lost. There's no perfect mom, no matter how anybody looks. Your children are different than her children. Your husband is different than her husband. God has chosen your lot. You need to be content within that. Learn to let your heart. Remember the HUD story. Simple, very simple. We have an enemy, the battle is real. We must fight, ladies, fight. Thank you. Um, there is a saying that says comparison is the thief of joy. So remember that when you're looking at, and also I always use the example of my daughter runs and I never post a bad race on social media ever. I only post the good races. So think about that when you're like comparing yourself to the perfect family on social media. Real quick, James 3, 14 to 16. Let this put, put it right into perspective for you. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's James 3, 14 through 16. Scripture is clear. And some of the verses that I go to to dwell upon too, which would be an encouragement, is like I told you with the Philippians 1, 6. Spend time in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Your spiritual blessings. That's a beautiful part of Scripture. You can be very discontented. You can be in an extremely hard situation. You can read those and your soul will rejoice. Thank you, that's great. Hannah, one area of disappointment and discontentment can be living in a place where no family is nearby to help, especially with little kids. How have you and your husband navigated that with all your family being out of state? 
Um, well, this is actually really fun to be saying this when I just got to see both my sisters and I picked up my mom last night at the airport. So <laughs> God is really kind. Um, but I think, you know, when you when you truly know and believe and trust that God is sovereign and that he has directed your steps and he is for you and he is good, it is easier. Like we moved to California. We don't have any family here. We're like, why did you move here? Well, because we did. And God made it work out and moved us here. Um, and I think, you know, for us, God brought us here. I don't foresee him ever bringing our families here. He could. God can surprise us, but that won't happen <laughs> with this one. Um, and we just adjust. Like, I, I have seen an example of someone who happened to have family in Indiana, and they moved, and it wasn't because God brought them there. It was because the wife was miserable. And I was like, I am. That is not going to be. If we ever move, it is going to be because God brought us there, not because of my discontent heart. So anyway, um, navigating that, um, and sometimes people, maybe you've said this or you've heard it, um, oh, I don't know how you live far from family. I could never do that. Well, if God called you to, you would, and you would do it. <laughs> and it would be a reflection, like how it was for you, your reflection of your heart, uh, or your heart would reflect how it went for you. Um, so just the number one thing, assess your heart. You know, are you someone who's discontent or waiting for the next time that you can see them? Or, I guess, practically wishing for the day that you could live close to your parents, they could be helpful. Um, or are you choosing to be grateful for the family God has given you here, your immediate family, your husband, your kids, and the church body? Which, by the way, has plenty of young babysitters. Because <laughs> that's like number one on practically just find the sitters. I mean, it took us a little while because the first year, I mean, Evia was perfect. And we just took her everywhere. And we didn't, she was great. Restaurants, nothing had to change. And then it got to a point where, you know, with the second one, it's like, okay, it is nice to drive somewhere without being, with being able to carry on a conversation and not be interrupted with tears or something. Um, so find the babysitters, be okay with leaving your kids with the babysitters. It doesn't matter what your kids are like. You might have the most difficult child for X, Y, Z reason. And you might be like, well, we only ever leave with our parents because of whatever. And that's great if your parents are here. But if you don't have parents here, then find and get used to a sitter or a few and leave your kids with them. And you budget accordingly. And it's okay if your babysitting budget looks different than the family next door because that's what God has brought you to, and that's fine. Um, so, oh, find, find a family that lives um, either close to you or has the same amount of kids and swap date nights. Thank you, Janice Kapal, for doing that with us. Um, my hand's still shaking. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, I can talk to little kids, but y'all you know, are a little more. A little more <laughs> my armpits are still sweating. <laughs> I was like trying to sit like this. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, make the most of your evenings together and do the early bedtime. I don't know. I mean, I guess if people have decided to put their kids to bed at 8.30, that's what's best for their family. But I will milk the 7 o'clock bedtime for as long as I can. Um, because then you have your more time with your husband. And you still don't have to go to bed at 10.30. You can go to bed at 9.30 if you want to because you've had a few hours together. So early bedtimes. Um, and again, making the most of your evenings together. Maybe that's like, I mean, every every night before the kids go to bed, I ask Benjamin, what do you envision for the rest of the evening? Maybe he has work to do for 30 minutes, and I know I'm going to do this so that when he's ready to hang out with me, I'm fully his. Um, 
So invest in the church and don't be isolated. It's like the hardest thing you could do to yourself and experience. Um, get connected, even though it's uncomfortable. If you just moved here from far away, you don't know anyone. You look around there and you're like, how are all these people talking to each other and having friends? I don't know anybody. Be faithful and go to the events and do the things and be awkward and the Lord will be faithful. <laughs> Also, don't entertain the pity parties. Um, remind yourself of truth and God's goodness. I had my first moment with when they announced the marriage conference dates, and I got all excited. I was like, oh, we have kids. Oh, it's not really a time where Benjamin's pair could fly out or my parents could fly out. And I started to think, well, it's okay. Like, we, just, we just won't do that one. And so I mentioned it to Benjamin. He's like, well, why? I was like, well, because it would probably cost a lot of money to have a sitter. And again, budget. We have months to plan for it. Ask around, find someone. We found someone, thank you, Lord. And it'll just cost us more to go, and that's fine. So what? That's, again, this is what the Lord has brought us, and we're going to be thankful that he has provided so that we can do that, a sitter, and the funds to pay for it. So, um, let's see. I think there was something else on here. Just don't stop doing things. That, I mean, that kind of goes with budgeting. Um, but... Don't make a habit of not going to see G because you don't have someone to watch the kids. Like, you're, well, we don't have family here, and you know, we can't afford a sitter, which there are seasons like that, but don't stay there. And budget accordingly, and maybe that means talking with your husband and figuring out how we can make this work, or maybe it's a mother's helper that you pay $5 an hour, and it means a lot to her, and the other mom is happy because her kid is learning. It probably counts for some homeschool thing. If she comes hang out with you and helps you with your kids, um, so those are just um, some tips. And then just lastly, when it comes to like missing family, maybe not the practical stuff, but um, if you have found yourself, maybe your parents are just an hour away, but you could still miss and not see them very much. But um, I remember when we first moved out here, my prayer was, Lord, let the time that I get with my family somehow be enough. Because I'm like, I mean, my family, they all live like right here. So I was the first one to kind of leave the the little circle of a 30 mile radius. Um, and the Lord has blessed that beyond measure. Obviously I miss them, um, but any trips that we get, I'm just thankful for, because I don't deserve them. So yeah, those are my, my kind of long stories. That's great, that's great, thank you. And you know, there is this great group of women at our church called Doulas. That are the single too. women, and I have heard that they go babysit a lot. So, if you want to go to the marriage conference and you don't have anybody close to babysit, you might want to reach out to that group. So, Christina and JoJo are in charge of that group. So, reach out to them and see if some of those women would go babysit for you. So, um, okay, Colette. How do you help your, how did you, sorry, I know your kids are all adults now, but how did you help your kids keep or learn an eternal perspective as they were growing up? Um, okay, so a few things. The first and most important thing is to have them fix their eyes on Christ. Um, can't check that up your table. Um, it's just like a little phrase. I would say, fix your eyes on Christ, go shine for Jesus. Um, and that's just really important, especially 
because I, I really love sharing the gospel if I can and being available for people who don't know the gospel, and I want my kids to be that way, which I will explain in a second. Um, the first thing and the last thing is to pray. I never say, all I can do is pray. I hate that phrase. First thing I can do is pray. I want to pray for you. I want it to be the number one thing that my kids do, and I wanted it. So we often pray. You prayed a lot with the girls. Um, I prayed for their salvation, of course, from the time they were conceived, and then I prayed for their future husbands to love Christ more than my girls, and I have amazing son-in-laws. I'm super, super blessed. I love those men. Um, and I prayed that he would take them wherever they need to be, Clearly, I didn't think that through. Because <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know, one of, one of my daughters has New, is in New Zealand, and um, I just got back from her having her first baby. And my other daughter, my other oldest daughter, moved to North Carolina last year with my two twin grandsons, and she's pregnant again. And so that part can be hard. I love hearing Hannah. <laughs> but um, Proverbs 3, 5 or 6 is my life first. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make and direct your paths with and so I do trust him and I know that he's got that all under control so pray first next would be to um, be in the word daily that is super super important I don't do it perfectly especially when I was in your your situation I did not do that perfectly tried many many things and um, just did my best to make sure that I was in the word my husband is an incredible model of that. Every single morning he is at the table doing his his quiet time, which I do with him now um, in the morning as well. But there was times I had to do it at night, you know, the bathroom story where I would hide in the bathroom and read my Bible because little kids and dogs and cats. Anyway, um, the girls knew their dad loved to read the word uh, every morning. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word is important. Three is to go to church and make it a priority. I know that's really hard when you have little kids, but I just, I am so convinced of that. My husband grew up in the church, and I did not, so I learned a lot from him. <laughs> and there were days where I said, you know, feel like going to church when we we're in our early part of our marriage. And he's like, so? <laughs> we're going. I'm like, okay. So go to church. We, I love, love, love being in church and being with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's a little piece of heaven on, on, when you're in there on Sunday morning and fellowshipping and singing and, you know, anytime you can gather together, this is also a great time too. So Hebrews uh, 10.25 says, do not neglect the meeting together as um, the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's scriptural, do it. Uh, we served together as a family to demonstrate Christ's love uh, and how, what it meant to us. We did homeless ministry for years, um, which we'll probably try to do it again once the church is established. Moms by Grace, we used to do all the children's for Moms by Grace, along with Stacy Mazie and some others. And um, uh, we all went on a mission together to New Zealand. <laughs> That's how my daughter met her husband. Um, there's just something super special about serving together. I know that Laura touched on that. Um, that uh, it's just, it's a blessing to serve with your kids. And I, it's so cool. I see Natalie Higgins and her kids. And I see um, some other moms with their kids. And it's just neat because they're seeing you serve. And they're seeing how you love Christ and how much it, it's important to you. Obviously without grumbling and complaining. Um, but it's always so fun. I always have a great time serving my family. Okay. 
Uh, ask the Lord to search your heart daily. That's something I, my favorite psalm for that is Psalm 139. Um, and it's, I just read the, the portion. The Lord, uh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. Search me, O God. Know my heart, try me, and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me uh, in the way everlasting. So those were the things that I would say are super important for our family in, term, in terms of having an eternal perspective. So. Thank you. If you guys did not, were not at FBC when Colette's girls were little, you missed out because Colette and Gary always had four little girls trailing behind them wherever they served. It was amazing. Um, Laura, we are called to be content and rejoice always. So what are some truths you cling to and verses you meditate on to be joyful in the midst of trials or major disappointments? Well, I think you heard where I go. Um, the Psalms is good. Life can be hard. It just can be hard. And, you know, we, we need to remember that contentment does walk along the side of grief and sorrow and those hard things in life. A hard child an ill husband, those things. Um, like I said in the talk that there are sometimes I had felt like it didn't, that I was discontented because I didn't want to be in that trial. That's okay. But then where I go is that there is always something to be thankful for. I go straight there. I ask my God to show me himself in that trial, and then I'm thankful. I use gratitude as a weapon. I use gratitude as a weapon that slays sin, and it brings my countenance back. Uh, it is a miraculous weapon. And then I embrace the lesson for the growth promised. I was telling Joy this morning, do you mind if I use this story, Joy? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even remember this, but um, we were in a Bible study together, and she had come up to me, and I didn't remember I had even said this in the study, and this was when her husband was going through a hard time um, with illness, some things going on, um, and she said, I just have to tell you, when we were in that Bible story, when you said that we should get excited when trials hit us because God loves us enough not to leave us there. She's all, I thought you were absolutely loony. <laughs> and she goes, and I needed to come back to you to tell you that I understand now. Because the growth that is done within them can't be bought. This is your soul in eternity. This isn't all you have. It does us well to remember that. So I will go to James 1, where it tells us to persevere, steadfastness. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, once all that goes on. I will go to Romans 5.1 that tells us, endurance produces character, character produces hope, hope produces and brings you to no shame. Because God has love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given. And then the next thing I do, I cling to my husband. I don't allow too much time between. We can be very, we process different, don't we, than our husbands. I can talk up a storm. You know, and he's still at, this just happened. <laughs> you know, and so I 
I have found to not allow that distance too long to go between in the midst of a trial because it does bring a separation of how you process separately instead of as unity. So even if I have to just sit there and hold his hand, do not allow a lot of time for you two to process so much apart. And then the next thing, I wrote down a couple things here. Oh, this is a good one, ladies. Be okay with being wronged. Relationships are tough and big trials can come from them. It's okay to allow yourself to be wrong. It's biblical. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in proper time. Thank you. Okay, back to Hannah. You went through a season when your husband traveled out of the country for long periods of time, and then another season when he worked long and unpredictable hours. Can you give some encouragement on how you navigated those days when you were home with the kids all day long and sometimes into the night? Yeah, this can be a challenging one because, you know, we're thankful for our husbands having jobs that provide, but when they are gone at hard times or for a long time, it can be really challenging and feel very defeating. Um, and this might not feel like the most practical advice, but Laura said it. Um, I think the, big, the most important thing is to train up a heart of gratefulness and pray that the Lord would help you with that if you are particularly struggling or ask someone else, look at my life, tell me where I need to be grateful. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you need because you're so focused on the issues that you can't see straight. Um, but oftentimes the biggest struggles that we have in our day that can make, you know, momming alone while your husband's gone, the hardest is not um, how our kids behave, but how we respond to them. And so when you have that heart of gratefulness, it really helps you. It's so much easier. Not that the issues don't come up and you still don't respond in anger sometimes, um, but we are better suited to respond in a Christ-like, patient manner with a happy heart that we tell, tell our kids to have when we're grateful for that crying baby who just wants to be held all the time and he's so heavy. Um, or a tantruming toddler who you get to train and discipline. Um, or for an opportunity to model repentance when you do respond in anger for the third time that day. Um, because now your kids get to see how mommy sins too and she also needs God. Um, you know, maybe gratefulness is something you actually need to work on for being thankful for your husband's job or for... Um, ways that you may wish things were different related to his work um, and maybe that's something you need to work on as well because we don't want to have bitterness or resentment in a season of just hard times for our husband and that affects our lives but anyway practically again the bedtimes keep them early and simple but obviously whatever works best with you and your kids maybe that means don't bathe them every night once a week is fine or maybe that means put him in the bath for an hour every night because that just goes best and is the least stressful. Um, routines, but also adding in things that are special. Um, you know, not scheduling the heavy, stressful appointments while your husband's gone, but adding in the fun things that outings, you know, to the park. Or, you know, for me, if my husband's gone on long trips, I, I personally, I love food. So I would have my favorite snack to look forward to, um, or like my favorite thing for lunch, or I would say, okay, on this day, we're gonna go get dinner out, 
you're not going to worry about the traffic at 4.30 because we're just going to enjoy the fact that we're getting out of the house at a really hard time of day for their kids and their dad's not home. And they're going to love it because we're in a store and then getting chicken nuggets and eating them on the way home and so mom doesn't have to clean up the kitchen, you know? Um, so add fun things for you and for the kids. Um, have at least one meal, super simple. I had a long season where I would make the banana oat pancakes in bulk and then every morning we'd get them, throw them in the stroller, it didn't matter how cold it was, like hats and mittens and gloves were great and get in the stroller and seven o'clock was our walk and breakfast and that's just what I needed to do because the one child just couldn't stand to watch me make breakfast and not have it in his mouth ready. Um, um, you know, the whole date night swapping, you could swap with a friend babysitting duties. Hey, every Wednesday morning from this time to this time, I'll take them, I'll take your kids this week, you take mine this week, then you have a few hours where maybe you can be more productive on things you couldn't do with your kids. Um, get outside in the morning, whether that's a walk or whatever it is. Daylight, there's science there. It really helps everyone's hearts and attitudes. Um, stay connected with your fellow sisters. Don't be isolated. Do the play dates. Um, maybe that means like a scheduled weekly thing where you're getting to talk with someone that's not a child and your children are practicing sharing their toys and all that stuff. Um, music. The kids' playlists, whether they want the sing songs or mommy's songs or daddy's songs, all the playlists on Spotify, they're all about God. They're all worshiping. So whatever they choose, which they're really into daddy's songs right now, which he loves. But it's all for my heart and for their heart. You can still have kids' parties and worship God. Um, I don't see any reason to waste time with something that does not direct someone's heart towards the Lord. Um, there's fine music out there, but just make it as helpful and practical as possible. Um, and sometimes that I shared with some people, but Hudson just has this thing where I know at about 8.47 a.m., he's just going to need me to pick him up and go turn on Shane and Shane's vintage album, starting with Our God is an Awesome God, facing towards the TV so he can see their two faces on the TV, and just dance. And he calms down. Five minutes, we're moving on. And then I've had my heart refreshed and reminded that, you know, all the good things. Um, anyway, um, get up before your kids and have your time in the Word. Um, I know that's not always practical in the maybe that means doing the other practical things so that you have time at the first nap time you're having your time in the word but things really go better the first couple hours when they're prepared for our kids and that's how we can serve and honor them um trying to teach your kids in the simple habits um instead of you know at nap time oh look at the house now i gotta tidy up no take 45 minutes to clean up all their toys or 15 minutes for her to pick up every single popcorn kernel and cheer her on, yay, because that's training and disciplining. And have Hudson take one car at a time to his car box. And it might take 20 minutes, but he's learning. And then we've spent 45 minutes, oh, look, now it's nap time, and the house is clean. Um, so, I mean, just like what you're saying about the baseboards, like, you know, and the laundry, folding the laundry. Laundry needs to get folded at some point. And I know we can put it off and we do, and that's great, but sometimes it piles up and you can't see the difference between the dirty and clean. So you do need to stay on top of it at some point. And so we start with the little hand towels for your daughter, and then move her up to the shorts, and she's going to get so mad that she can't flip it. And then you say, hey, I have an opportunity to teach and train you and love you and show you how to have self-control and not freak out when it doesn't fold perfectly. Um, and this leads to my, my last thing is just, if you're a to-do list person like me and you just love to get things done in a day and that's the source of your discontentment when you don't, put number one on your list every single day. Write it down if you have to. Love, teach, and discipline. Train and discipline my kids. Because then it will remind you, like, that is, like, it's literally your only job. 
in the day. So when you have all these other things that you're slowly getting done in the day, and you're interrupted for the 49th time in training and discipline, and remembering to do it lovingly, then you can look at your day and say, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. Oh, and by the way, we got a half a load of laundry folded. And you can have a heart that's grateful for all those chances to teach and train your, your kids. Um, so it's a really just perspective kind of thing. And then just lastly, with the whole, again, momming alone for long hours, husband's gone, um, be kind to your husband, like when he comes home, and sometimes I, I know that I have felt the need to make him know every hard area of the day, just a big party kind of a thing, and they don't always need to hear that. Like, you need to communicate, be on the same page, but he doesn't need to come home to it. You're complaining and be brought down to, oh, how your day must have been really hard. I guess I won't tell you about my work day kind of a thing. Um, so you don't always have to talk about it. So anyway. That's great. Okay, we're um, we're down to our last few minutes. So um, I've heard a lot of having a thankful and grateful heart. So I would like to know how you're cultivating that, each one in your different seasons. How are you cultivating a thankful heart? And how can you encourage all of us out here to cultivate a thankful heart? Because that's really right that's at the base of being content so uh okay whoever wants to go i think they, they i think you've heard me so i don't really i'll just expand on it a little bit more um like when i talked about there was a, a season just like that early on in motherhood when i was talking about during the talk that i took and did every room in my house um there was a season i mean i wanted more than my lot I compared. There were seasons that I wallowed in comparison until the Lord brought me to the Word of God. He is the heart changer. We can't strive to do it, even though we try. Um, and so I purposed myself, and that's the key word. Anywhere in Scripture, you're going to see that. Daniel purposed himself to pray every day and instead of the king's meal. He purposed himself, and that's what we need to do. So I purposed myself to get up. I purposed myself to walk into the rooms. I purposed myself to speak my list and my subcategories. Um, you train yourself well and you learn it. And then it happens. God is faithful. There's very, there's very few times today, and I'm not saying everything because I would be a liar and I'd be my own talk. But there's very few things, that, very few times that I don't go straight to thankfulness. My husband is a very ill husband. He had a kidney transplant. I have been in hospital rooms since he was 20, since I've been 23 with my husband and I've been married 35 years. I am thankful for the doctors. I am thankful that the Lord chooses to sustain my husband through medication. I can look at that medication and I can cry. I cannot believe my husband has to take that much. But I am thankful that the Lord has given him. One of the things that we get up every morning and do, and it just sounds so, you know, in a world like ours, it just sounds so contrite. I thank him for my breath. Every morning, I thank God for my breath. That's the first thing out of our mouths when we hit the floor. Thank you. Once you get into the pattern, understanding that you do not provide for your children, God provides through you. They are his. You do not provide the house that you're living in. God has given you that. You do not provide the cars that you drive. God has allowed you to have them. When you turn the perspective to the great provider, your heart changes and you are full of joy. 
you. How about you, Colette? Um, I would only add to that is that the focus always has to be on Christ and not yourself. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to do that. I'm not here with microphones again. Okay. So yeah, so focus on Christ. It's not you, it's the Lord. If your if your eyes are on him, it's really hard to put your eyes on yourself. So if you're in the word, like Laura says, she taught us a long time ago about the altars of remembrance, which I've carried to everyone I've talked to, um, to remember those times when God is faithful and always brings me joy. It's always good to go back to your prayer journals and see how God has faithfully done that for you. To my mom when I was little, from I don't remember when she would be looking at everything, which kind of made me be who I was, and being grateful for everything that I saw, like when the flowers are blooming, and when you see the, you know, the animals running around, and, and even the things that don't seem like they're so great, when it's a bad or cloudy day, it's a great day to be taking a walk. It's like to constantly be grateful for what God has provided, no matter what it is. And um, my daughter was sweet enough to say that, that that's something that she she really appreciated when, when we were growing up, and never grumble or complain, because it's a, the polar opposite of being content. And it's not pretty, it's a horrible witness, it's terrible for your kids to learn that. So if you can bring joy even in the most difficult of circumstances or the toughest times when they're really down or if they've really just had, had some things happen to them or dad's had a really bad day and maybe he's grumpy, you can diffuse it. And you can be a godly woman to him and to your kids at the same time. And still be having a bad day. Like, you could still have a bad day, but you need to defer. You need to be focused on the Lord and not on yourself. So those would be the things that just cultivate a spiritual joy. Thank you. How about you, Hannah? Yeah, I would just say I remind myself that I don't deserve this. I don't even deserve the hard moment that I have with my child. Um, but starting with, I don't deserve to know Christ. I don't deserve to spend a journey with him. I don't deserve to have a husband who loves Christ. I don't deserve to have this home that God has provided. I don't deserve to have these kids. And specifically in the mundane of motherhood, some days when your kids are hard, like reminding myself, I prayed for this. God has given me what I was desiring for so long. And here I am like, oh, why are you so challenging? It's like, this is the challenge that I wanted. And I know that it's so sanctifying. And um, trusting the Lord with that and just choosing, finding what, what are the hardest moments that I do struggle with in the day and starting with those on tackling gratefulness first. Um, so that your first thought when that happens is to throw the thought out of your mind and retrain um, your thoughts. So music really helps. That's my thing. Maybe you have a thing that you just need to stick with. So. They all have Really, search your hearts. Search your hearts, ladies. Where are your if-onlys, like Hannah's saying? And if they are, start there. And remember, God is good. And we learn these things. That's the freedom in the cross. You don't have to carry it. You have to accept that you're a learner. That you're not perfect. You have to accept that as a mommy. And if you do, it makes it a lot easier. Because you are learning. And his grace is sufficient. Thank you. Can you thank these ladies for us? And let's just finish up at your table. Leave the surveys with your mentor mom.